You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, welcome back. I am Charles Jungemach, and on the hot seat today for our interview is Mr. Alex Enter. Say hi, Alex. Hi, Alex. <laughs> um, Alex is a 2018 graduate of Martin Luther College. Um, defer to call, doing some other things now, but he's got a rich and uh, exciting history before that. Uh, but before we get into that, Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right, so I grew up in Stillwater, Minnesota. And I had kind of a different high school experience. I went to public high school, and I started going to college while I was in high school. So by the time I graduated from high school, I had about 60 college credits in in the bank already. And I said, I'm going to take a break here from school and go make some money so I can stay out of debt. And that led to a very adventurous lifestyle. <laughs> so, so what did you do coming out of high school? Uh, the first thing that I did, I went over to uh, North Dakota, uh, the west side of North Dakota. Um, at the time, there was an oil boom going on. And I was hearing rumors of $100,000 years for kids with no experience right out of high school. So I went out and uh, explored the Wild West and tried to make my way in the oil industry. And, um, yeah, so I stayed out there for about, about a year and then I decided I wanted to get back to school and, and pursue my degree, which at the time was in agriculture. So I went to, to, uh, UW, Wisconsin, River Falls and, uh, got hooked up into the agribusiness industry again. And, um, at the time I was auctioneering. So I, I thought that I was going to be an auctioneer, and I wanted to get a degree in, in ag so that I'd have some background there uh, I could fall back on. And the Lord softly, sometimes harshly, spoke into my ear and said, you are not going to be an auctioneer. <laughs> um, and I, uh, <clears throat> between people encouraging me my whole life and, and Martin Luther at MLC staring down at you saying, get over here, uh, I ended up... Uh, at Martin Luther College. Awesome. So, yeah. So you, uh, when you went out to uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, North Dakota? North Dakota. North Dakota. How old were you when you went out to North Dakota? Uh, 19. 19. Yeah. Just graduated from high school? Yep. Like, are we talking like June? We're or? talking uh, August. August? August is when I, when, uh, what happened was there was a truck driver. I was welding right, right out of high school. Um, I actually graduated in January. Um, because I had so many college credits that they were like, you're done. <laughs> so I was welding from January through August and we, we were building some, uh, dumpsters that were meant for separating frac sand in the oil field. So the truck drivers were coming back with reports of crazy money being made. And I said, wow, what am I doing welding in Minnesota when I can go make big money in North Dakota? So you get an apartment out in North Dakota, you drive your car <laughs> out there. You... Yeah, so I bought a uh, truck bed camper uh, that fit in the back of a Chevy S10 <laughs> and drove that thing all the way across uh, North Dakota on Highway 2 and slept in a slide in truck bed camper for about six months. <laughs> so what does life look like when you're working on the oil rigs like that? Uh, it's cold. It's windy. Uh, it's long hours. I mean, you, it wasn't weird at all to work 30 day, 30 hours straight, uh, and, and really no days off six days a week, seven days a week. Um, and is that seasonal work or do you just go all year round? They go all year round. I mean, it's, it's energy and something's got to fuel this, this country that we live in. So, so what was your job working on oil rigs? Uh, well, I started off uh, on a rig and shortly after I, I, um, started on the rig, there was an accident and they laid everybody on the rig off. So I ended up getting another temporary job that turned into a full-time job building a hotel um, out of 20 foot, uh, storage containers, which I never thought I would be doing, but it was, a, it was a neat experience. So it's all like fabrication of these. Yeah. Containers? It was literally 20 foot containers that we 
bolted together and built a hotel out of it. And so is it like there is a these are like rooms and you put a hallway in between or something? Yeah, there's a hallway in between twenty foot containers and they stick a window in the end and a bathroom, plumb it all out and and it's it's a it's a um, concept that is like derived from the Olympics actually. So the company that I was working for also sets up the Olympics wherever the Olympics are going to be. They set up all the housing for the Olympians, and uh, and they do things like they did Obama's inauguration. Um, so they they had experience in in temporary housing. So this uh, hotel that we built, um, like the max. Uh, amount of time that it could be habitable is like 45 years but when you're in a, in a boom economy like an oil boom that's really all you need and and being that it was a hotel it was uh there's some exceptions there so it was not up to minnesota code <laughs> wasn't up to north dakota code code really wasn't a thing it was make this make this a place to stay for a night and so is this like do they own the whole shebang like do they own the hotel too yep they own the land they own the hotel they make all the money they paid me a little bit and uh, uh, and they gave me a place to park my camper next to some grain bins, <laughs> so it was it was it was an adventure. And then uh, shortly after that, I ended up working for another company called HB Rentals, uh, where I spent the majority of my time. And that was uh, true oil field housing. So we would take forty foot skid shacks and move them to the oil rigs. And when the oil rigs moved, we would uh, move the skid shacks where the crews, the oil crews, were living. Uh, with the rigs i still want to ask about these these container hotels so like <laughs> when you're inside this the, like the rooms can you like bang on the wall and it sounds like a container no. or is it like does it look like a hotel room it looks inside? like a hotel room it's just a very small hotel room okay yeah all right and i'm imagining like showers you can't bend over in and uh the showers uh, in these were like like the chinese style showers where you had like your your toilet uh underneath your shower shower oh. head and so it's like a micro bathroom. Okay. Um, and then you had your sink, so you could like brush your teeth on the toilet. <laughs> so everybody's dream. Yep. Everybody's dream. The yep. American dream. That's why they call them roughnecks. So <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. All right. So um, how long did you spend out there in North Dakota? I was out there just under a year, a few days short of a year. It, w- it was a good experience, you know, looking back on it. They, there were people coming from all over America, all over the world, because this was the hottest economy anywhere at the time. And I remember thinking, um, I- I'll never need to travel. Like, I've already met everybody. They came to me. <laughs> um, like, and it was, so that was really neat, you know, and I got some experiences to meet some people who just like blow my mind still to this day. Um, you know, I met Cajuns from Louisiana and I met people from England with funny accents <laughs> and I met people from Japan. Like I just met all these crazy people that I never ever would have thought I would meet in Williston, North Dakota. Um, so it was, it was a good experience. I'm, I'm glad I did it. It was uh, a good, a good learning experience and a good, um, like spiritually it was, it was a challenge because I hadn't like, there was no church. There was uh, a mission congregation in town that met in a basement, and like anybody who wasn't like already very Lutheran would have thought this is very um, cult-like. <laughs> You're meeting in a basement. Pastor comes every two. It's weeks. an underground church, right? Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally in the basement. <laughs> literally in the basement, and and at the same time, I like I have very fond memories of that. And, and the relationships that I cultivated during that time uh, are still with me today and still a big part of my life. So it, it's, it's an intimate, it's an intimate uh, church relationship when there's only seven of you and pastor comes every two weeks and you get all excited because pastor's coming all the way from the other side of Montana. <laughs> That's awesome. So, cool. Yep. So um, when I think, so well, I, I told you, I'd give you a little uh, preview about what I wanted to do. So, but um, when, so... <laughs> When I think of you, <laughs> anyway, so uh, when, when, when I think about Alex, when Alex starts telling stories, what I was thinking about is Jack London's credo. And Jack London's credo goes, this is hanging on the wall of my kitchen. That's where I'm reading it from, by the way. I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and permanent planet. The function of man is to live, not to exist. 
I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Now, when I think about Alex, I think of Jack London. And here's why. Alex Enter is one of the most interesting people I know because you literally have your hands in everything. So you've, you, you talked a little bit before about you were an auctioneer. Um, you've been all over the place. You went to Alaska for a while, which we haven't talked about. Um, you are you you were a bull rider. Um, you what was the other one? What am I missing? Oh, you play the squeeze box. Okay. Yep. Um, or the concertina. Concertina. We thank need to you. get into some of this and break it down. So um, first, let's talk about Alaska. First, let's talk about Alaska. Okay. When did you go to Alaska? Why did you go to Alaska? <clears throat> so my cousin bought a fishing boat, uh, and so he he bought a thirty-two foot uh, salmon fishing boat, a uh, gill netter, in in Naknek, Alaska, uh, which is in Bristol Bay. And <clears throat> he had fished in Alaska several years, and his attitude turned into, "Why am I making a five percent commission on this when I can be like?" rocking 80 90 percent of it and paying someone else five percent to do the grunt work <laughs> um so he he kind of if he's listening this will be bad but he rushed into buying a boat <laughs> and so he he bought this boat and he he was he like he knew how to fish but what he didn't know was very much about the mechanics of the boat and so he and i were talking and and uh, I, I was, I was super interested in his boat because I was like, oh, it's a, it's a gas engine. Like that's the same engine as the last like 350 big block that I worked on. Crazy. And and so he was realizing, oh shoot, Alex knows more about how my boat works than I do. <laughs> and the other thing that happened was his crew, um, kind of like they got tickets to go to Alaska late. So um, the Alaska Fish and Wildlife opens up fishing season on a certain date. And usually it's around June 15th. And um, so prior to June 15th, let's say June 1st through the 15th, ticket prices skyrocket uh, because everybody's going up there to fish. And so his crew had all bought tickets on like the 17th or the 18th because they were cheap. And he was like, dude, we got to be fishing by then. So he said basically what he told me was that he would pay for my um, – my flight up to Alaska if I would come help him get his boat ready and and make sure that the boat was running good and and I said sounds like a good plan and then I can go fish on some other boat beat the docks till I find a job and and it sounded like a dream come true so that's how I ended up in Alaska so what did you do in Alaska okay so I started on my cousin's boat and I ended up um, going to a couple different boats. So I started on the salmon, the salmon shark, which was a 32 foot gill netter. And I ended up, um, um, going and working on the Georgia Straits, which was <laughs> an 83 foot, uh, tender, which is actually like a small crab boat, um, that was tending fish. So the, the 32 foot boats would bring their fish to uh, the Georgia Straits, and we would offload the fish and take them back to the factory. So I spent a few weeks on the on the Georgia Straits uh, until the captain's girlfriend and I kind of disagreed, and she was like, "If you don't fire him, I'm leaving you." And I was <laughs> like, "Well, I can't compete with that, and I'm not sleeping with the captain." So uh, that that was the end of my of my work on the on the Georgia Straits, and then I uh, fished on a boat called the Enterprise. Um, for the majority of the fishing season. And that was a, a cool experience. So uh, we called him Colonel Sanders, Captain Sanders. Uh, and, and my buddy Isaiah Ryan, uh, we were, the three of us were on this boat together. And we caught uh, just over 100,000 pounds of salmon, wow. which is like, if you, I was told my first time up there, of course, that if you hit 100,000 pounds, you're doing good. And like, you don't know what you're getting paid for the fish. So. You're like, if you get 100,000 pounds and and you get a dollar a pound, you're sitting high. Like, this is good fishing. And now the problem was uh, Colonel Sanders didn't pay any of his crew. He, he dropped us off on the docks and pretty much said, get lost. And we were like, uh, now what? And so I'm sitting there in Alaska, totally broke, like no money to my name. Uh, sleeping in a 20-foot container because my cousin had one. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and so I got another job uh, cutting fish, like bleeding fish um, that other people were catching, and I would literally stab them in the gills and bleed them. 
and I made just enough money to to fly back to Minneapolis. Now, like I was saying, flights are super expensive. So the only flight that I could get, uh, my options were either stay in Alaska for like two and a half months or fly first class from Anchorage to Minneapolis for like 1500 bucks. <laughs> so I made just enough money to pay for my ticket and then went home and started picking green beans. So... <laughs> So you've been all over the place doing all kinds of things. Um, why? Why? Oh, that's a good question. Um, ah, so like when you were reading that quote, uh, like I was thinking like Alex puts it really simply. Like I'd rather wear out than rust out. And so like I, I can't, I'm a man of action and, and I, it pains me to sit still and do nothing. Um, no matter what I'm doing, it, it's, it's awful to, to not, um, be active and, and doing things. So, so it, it's constantly moving onto this, moving onto this. Um, th- there is a place for it. Like th- there's some people who would say like, um, especially like interviewing for jobs, people like, it's not a good thing to have on your resume to be like, yeah, I've worked at 35 different places in the last five years. Um, like it, it causes questions. Well, so you asked the question, why? Um, because I, I have to keep moving. Like, I have to keep uh, moving on. And if something is no longer satisfying, then, then you move on. And, and most of the time, uh, a lot of the things that I've done have been seasonal. So it can be super satisfying, you know, uh, physically, emotionally, and everything other than financially, which is usually the main reason you're doing a job. <laughs> uh, and then when the season is up, it is no longer no longer financially um, satisfying, and so you move on. Um, so salmon, um, fishing, oil, uh, it's all, in a sense, seasonal. There's a boom and a bust with oil. Um, there's, a, there's a season for everything. So Awesome. You remind, this, there's another quote, too. Have you heard this one before? It's uh, Rod, Hunter S. Thompson says, Life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, Wow, what a ride. What a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's pretty accurate. So, uh, <laughs> good segue here. What a ride. Um, you Let's have do done a seconds. bunch of bull riding. <laughs> I did. So when I was at college in, in River Falls, I, I rodeoed, and I actually was the first uh, um, um, Intercollegiate Rodeo Association uh, member from Martin Luther College when I was at MLC. So that was that was a huge honor. Um, <laughs> um, so I I happened to go back to River Falls for their Falcon Frontier Days rodeo and. And I said, um, I was talking with a buddy who I had rode bulls with, and he was no longer at River Falls either, but he was competing that night. And I was like, dude, how are you doing this? He's like, oh, I'm an independent bull rider. I was like, like an independent wrestler? He's like, yeah, only I ride bulls. And I was like, I didn't even know that's a thing. So I looked it up, and I found out, oh, you just got to get some people to sign off on it, and you've got to get a... Uh, the right patch on your on your vest and you're all set to go so I, I got everything lined up I got you know President Zarlene signed off on it and Coach Unky signed off on it President Zarlene was really excited because how many colleges have belt buckles in their trophy case <laughs> and he's like you got to go win a buckle so we can put it in our trophy case and and the first bull that I got on after after I had gotten my paperwork signed uh, pinched a nerve and I was like, nope, this is not <laughs> what it used to be. So there was, there was like three years in between, um, the bulls that I rode, um, and, and like 60 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you fell a lot harder, 60 pounds heavier. I believe it. Yeah. How do you get into bull riding? Um, you get on the back of a bull. <laughs> <laughs> so like out with your buddies one night and jumped on a bull or what? Actually, like, yeah. How do you get so the into- first time that I ever got on the back of of a bovine uh it, it was actually a, a 4-h dairy steer and and my buddy um the judge at the county fair was blind and he should have gone to state fair it should have been the champion but it wasn't and he was upset and he's like well we can ride it at least i've got a bull rope so <laughs> we were just kind of having fun and like it didn't it didn't buck it it wasn't difficult it was it was just kind of like woo, this is fun <laughs> Um, it wasn't anything serious. And then, um, 
I had the opportunity to, to go to a practice pen and, and get on some bulls. And I was like, well, I've done this before. It's not that hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was a lot harder at the practice pen. So, but it, it was awesome. It was a, it was a, a, a great experience and good camaraderie and, um, great workout. <laughs> why ride bulls? Oh, why ride bulls? So there is nothing, uh, as far as adrenaline rushes go, uh, like or similar to uh, tying yourself onto <laughs> the back of a you know thousand pound manure covered bull that's slobbering and grunting and moving back and forth in the chute, and, and then you uh, seemingly like without thinking just kind of like look at the guy at the gate and nod your head and 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 all of a sudden you're airborne. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, uh, it's, 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 it's an adrenaline thing. You know, I've never needed to do drugs cause I could just ride a bull. It's <laughs> a good call. Uh, so like then you just, just start like you were to go practice bulls and join a competition or what? Uh, what was that? Like, so like, how do you get, so you competed. Yep. How do you get into that? How do you get into competing? Like in how rodeo? do you go from, yeah. Uh, well you're making connections at the practice pen, right? So part of it was like, I was meeting people who, I was meeting people who had a herd of bucking bulls um, and like the purpose of those bulls, like they were bred genetically bred to, to buck, uh, to be mean, mean looking and, and, and aggressive. They're athletes just as much as any, any bull rider is. So, um, you know, my buddy had these bulls and he had, had a practice pen in his, at his farm um, where he was, you know, letting these bulls out. So the bulls train just as much as we do. And part of their training is they need people to uh, ride them, so they know what it's like to to be ridden, and and they only get better the more they do it. It's just like just like bull riders do. So you're not gonna break a you're not gonna like break a bull like you would a horse. No, where it's like no. one day it's fine. Like all right, fine. You know, uh, to a certain point, yeah, and then they end up glue, um, or <laughs> not glue, but uh, you know, burgers. Yeah, and. And so, you know, a bull is only going to get better until it hits its peak. And then after its peak, it's, it's still really good at its peak. You know, um, you think of any athlete, you know, Michael Jordan at his peak, even though, you know, two weeks after his peak, he wasn't the best he'd ever been. He was still really good. Um, so a bull, uh, they need the practice to get there. And so that's what the practice pen was about. It was about getting out, getting on a bull. Um, and it's the opportunity for the bulls to get ridden and bull riders to get on bulls. And that's the only way to get, to get better at it. Um, and I would encourage anybody that's ever thought about it to, to just do it. Um, uh, the first time that I, I got on it at that pen, I looked at the guy who ended up being my bull riding coach. And I said, am I making the biggest mistake of my life? He's like, you already made it. Tie yourself on. <laughs> and, and, and the funny story, I didn't tie. And this is like, so life story, uh, on like bull riding. Um, here's a segue for you. So he says, tie yourself on. And I didn't, I actually butterflied the rope, um, back in my hand. I said, I'm not tying myself onto this mean looking bull. Um, but I wasn't committed. And so what happened was I nodded and the bull jumps and, and he bucks a couple times and I flew right off, uh, right over, right over his horns, square down the center, landed underneath the bull and he stomped right on me. <laughs> and I said, holy cow, <laughs> that, that, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. There's a bull stomping on me right now. And now I got to get up and run. So it's like a mental thing too, at that point to, okay, do my legs work? Uh, can I run? And then you're like breathing hard and it's all the adrenaline, you know, you're only running on adrenaline at that point. Cause if it wasn't for the adrenaline, your legs would not work. Um, but over time I realized if I'm committed to this, if I want to ride this thing for eight seconds, if I want to win, if I want to make the money, cause you don't get paid in a, in, in a rodeo if you don't make your, make the whistle, right? Not only do you have to make the whistle, not only do you have to meet eight seconds, but you've got to score better than anyone else did to win. Right? So I'm not going to be able to win this thing. If I'm not going to tie myself onto the bull, if I'm just going to you know, half ass it, I'm not getting anywhere. And so you got to tie yourself onto the bull. And throughout life, I've been able to take bull riding and say, okay, this is just like bull riding. Even like every morning, there's a bull rope hanging in my room. And the reason that it's there is because every day is just like rolling out of bed and looking out of the gate 
and nodding at the guy pulling the gate, saying, let's do it, you know? Life is totally a bull ride. That's awesome. Yeah. That is a good analogy. Yep. That is a good analogy. Tie yourself in. Yeah, you, if you don't tie yourself in, you're not committed, and you're going to get thrown. Now, you might get thrown if you tie yourself in, but at least you're going to have that extra half second, second, that second that counts. And, and, and even when you get thrown and you're tied on, you know, you've got other people around you, right? Like there's rodeo clowns, right? There's bullfighters, you know, my buddy Jake always had my back. And, and there was, there was a time when I got thrown, um, I rode with my left hand, I got thrown over the right shoulder and, and your instinct at that point is to hold on to a bull that you are physically tied to. Um, when you're not on it <laughs> and, <laughs> and he is, you know, slamming his horn into your shoulder and you're, you're, uh, you're kind of stuck. Um, and really all you have to do is open up your hand and you're good, but your every instinct in your body says, hold on, hold on, don't let go. Or uh, he's on top of you. Right. And, and, and the time that I'm thinking of my buddy, Jake literally is putting both hands on, on the nose of this bull, pushing his nose down saying, Alex, open your hand, open your hand. And, and that's all it took, you know? So, uh, that's kind of another analogy is anytime you're, you're doing anything worth doing in life, you've got to be surrounding yourself with the, with the people to make you successful. So, Boom. Yeah. Awesome. So you are a bull rider. You've been fishing. Uh, I, I, I'm no longer a bull rider. Like, <laughs> he uh, was a bull rider. Sure. You ever yeah. think about going back or no? Every, all the time, all the time. Not every day, but but very often. Well, do you think you will? Um, I, I, I'm hesitant, and I, I can tell you why I'm hesitant because I am not in the shape that I was when I could do it well, and and so a part of me says, Alex, get back into shape. Um, uh, my dad was never very pro Alex riding bulls. Um, he, I specifically remember him telling me, if you die in a bull riding accident, I personally am nominating you for the Darwin Award. Um, so, so, like, thanks, Dad. I'm your kid, and you're saying my genes need to get out of the gene pool. <laughs> Love you, too. Um, you know, so, like, there wasn't very much support there. And and there was definitely a, a question in, in my mind saying, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I doing this because I enjoy it? Am I doing it for, for like personal glory? Um, and, and what do I get out of this? You know, chicks dig bull riders. There's no question of that. Um, I'm not saying that's, a, that's definitely a pro to, to riding bulls. <laughs> um, however, is it, am I taking care of my temple best when I get into good shape? And then get on a bull and wreck it, um, <laughs> and so I struggle with that, you know. And it, in one sense, it's an excuse not to get into good shape because I'm like, man, if I were in better shape, I'd be riding bulls. Um, <laughs> but if I'm not, I, I don't have to worry about it. Um, but I, I definitely recommend riding bulls for anybody who ever wanted to. Uh -huh. it, it's it's worth yeah. it, and it's it's the sort of, it's it's the sort of addiction that you only need to do it once, and you are hooked. Yeah. yeah, and you'll never. It'll always be in your blood. It never. You're you're never not a bull rider. I used to be a bull rider, but it's in my blood. So, all right. All right. So, uh, Alex Enter also is a auctioneer. You're a colonel. Uh, I'm a colonel. That's you correct. are a colonel. Yeah, Explain. I'm a, so I'm a 2013 graduate from the Worldwide College of Auctioneering in Mason City, Iowa. Um. This happened in the middle of my oil field stunt um, <laughs> because I, I said, I said, it's weird. I've got all these college credits. I'm, I'm a, academically ahead of my class, which I really had never been um, academically ahead of anything. <laughs> and, and so to be like academically in the front of the line and then to not be continuing my education, I was like this. Like, I'm excited about the oil fields. I'm excited about going out and making money and going on an adventure. But at the same time, I want to stay in, in front of my peers. Um, and so um, my mom actually said, well, why don't you go to auctioneering school? And I, I, my first thought was, there's a school for that? <laughs> like, I thought you just had to be born with a forked tongue. And, like, it was genetic or some, like... A disorder, <laughs> like, um, and my best friend was sitting there uh, in my living room with me, and he looks at me, and like it was like this real moment where he's like, "I could totally see you being an auctioneer," and I was like, 
all right, well, I'll look into it. And, and I looked into it. I said, well, where do the, where do the best uh, auctioneers train? And, and, and that ended up being Mason City, Iowa, which, you know, is only a few hours away. Um, so I called them up, said, put me on your roster, and, and uh, went through the program. So it was, it was about two weeks, and it, it was an awesome experience. And I met um, probably the finest quality caliber of people that I have ever worked with in any industry, in the auction industry. So, Awesome. So, well, first question is, if you're an, why are auctioneers called colonels? Okay, so it goes back to the Civil War. Um, the colonels would end up auctioning off um, deceased soldiers' belongings, horses, guns, all of those sorts of things. And then after the war, the colonels were in charge because they had already auctioned these things off. The colonels were in charge of auctioning off all of the U.S. Army's um, surplus. And so ever since uh, the Civil War, uh, an auctioneer has earned the, the honorary title of colonel. Um, <laughs> so you are Colonel Alexander. Colonel Alexander Enter. All right. Awesome. So uh, we need some examples, man. Wow, I hear you auction some off. Oh, well, what do you want me to sell? Well, so how do you, first of all, how do you learn this? Uh, well, you go to Worldwide College of Auctioneering in Mason City, Iowa. Okay, but like, what does the program look like? What do you, what do you do? Like, how, what's okay, your training? Okay, so like, what's a typical day like at auction school? Yeah. So, uh, it'll start off with your daily dozen or your dirty dozen drills, um, which are like tongue twisters and, and exercises for warming up your mouth, getting your numbers memorized. So, I thought I could count before I went to auctioneering school, <laughs> but I couldn't. Like, uh, as an auctioneer, you need to be able to you need to be able to count in ways that you were never taught in kindergarten. So like you were never taught to count by two and a half, right? Or you like, you can count up, you can count, you know, one to a hundred or one to a thousand going up, but then to come back down and say like, where was the bid at? You know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, selling something and I've got $4,500 bid, right. And I'm sitting there asking for 5,000 and, and I can't get it, I have to be able to know, without even thinking about it, that I'm at $4,500, and that's where my last bid was. So um, so I guess I can give you some examples here. So mm, Do it. <laughs> so, like, uh, tongue twisters would just be things like around the rough and rugged rock, the ragged rascal ran, um, or um, the big brown bug bit a big brown bear. Um, so you would literally do these in a cadence. So uh, the big brum bug bit a big brum bear, the big brum bug bit a big brum bear, 10 times over with your entire class in unison. Um, <laughs> or you would count, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 9, 10, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Um, 2 and a half, 5, 7 and a half, 10, 12 and a half, 15, 17 and a half, 20, 22 and a half, 25. Uh, 25, 20, 22 and a half, 20, 17 and a half, 15, you know, it's, it's going up and down. It's, it's getting your numbers straight, getting them in order, learning how to count without thinking about it. Um, and, and, and really understanding where your mouth works, how your mouth works. Cause everybody's different. God created each of us unique individuals. Um, and so like figuring out, okay, so how's this going to work? Because when you're auctioneering, you've got uh, a chant is what, what it's called. And it's, you've got a cadence. So, um, a cadence is a, is a rhythm. Like you can probably explain cadence better than I can. Um, why well, it's a repeated rhythm, right? So, so it keeps you in time, right? It keeps you in time and it, it, it actually spurs emotion. So that's why auctions are so successful is because, uh, um, it raises your heart rate. <laughs> you get, get you, you get physically excited because of the cadence in the auction chant. And so an auction chant, you know, um, it, it wasn't, it's not like you go to auctioneering college and they teach you how to have an auction chant. They teach you things like auction law and, and, and they do spend, you know, a fair amount of time every day working on your numbers, working on clarity, being able to say, you know, 77 clear, because if you can't say it clear, it's not worth saying. Um, and, and, and figuring out your voice, you know, my voice is different than a lot of other guys' voices. You know, I argue with some people from, from Kansas all the time. Cause I'm like, you say dollar, I say dollar. Like, and we'll argue about how do you actually pronounce dollar, but, um, figuring that stuff out, you know, um, and, and you do that through, through these different chants, you know, um, 
excuse me, through these different uh, tongue twisters and daily drills. Um, so then, like, I would I would leave auction school, and I would sit there and count the stripes in the middle of the road. Um, because when you're driving at 55, they're coming at you just as fast as you can. And, well, you can't really count them one at a time, but you can count two and a half, five, seven and a half, ten, twelve and a half, fifteen, seventeen and a half, twenty, twenty-two and a half, twenty-five. Um, you know, or you, you just learn, learn how that works. So my chant is different than anyone else's chant, um, because of what works in my, like, I really like bees. And part of that is the, the, the drill that we did with bees. So Betty bought her, bought some butter, but she said, this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it'll make my batter bitter. So she bought a bit of better butter, butter, put it in her bitter batter, made her bitter, better, better. So does better Betty bought her, bought a bit of better butter. Um, so like I, I enjoyed that. Everyone enjoys that drill. <laughs> um, let's be real. But I knew that bees worked really well. So I said, well, in my chant, I'm going to, to emphasize um, filler words in between my numbers that, that have a B because I know my mouth can say B really well. <laughs> um, Example? Um, <clears throat> what do you want me to sell? Uh, you can sell this here Yankee candle. All Autumn right. in the park. I got a Yankee candle. Let's start at a quarter and a quarter and a quarter and a quarter and a half. Now half and get half and get 75, 75, 75, daughter. 75 and get 75. Now daughter, now daughter, now daughter, now daughter. But get 75, now daughter, now daughter and a quarter. Daughter and a quarter, now daughter, 50. But get 50, but get 50. Now 75, 75, daughter. 75, now two, but get two, but get two, but get two and a quarter, two and a quarter, down half, two and a half, two and a half, but get two and a half. Now 75. Sold it, Charlie, right there, two and a half dollars. Awesome. I have a candle. It's my candle. Yeah. It's my candle now. You know. I don't know if you can put that on the internet. Just saying. It's, <laughs> it's kind of copyrighted. <laughs> well, I, I own it now. Oh, so, great. I mean, I, I bought it and I rebought it. All right. Uh, cool. So did you do any auctioneering? We'll then? charge you royalties. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was, I was auctioneering. I had my own auction business, and I was also a contract auctioneer for a couple of other auction companies. Um, I spent quite a bit of time working for one in particular um, in Ellsworth, Wisconsin. So... Yeah, it was a good time, um, but I I quickly realized that there's more to life than selling Tupperware, and <laughs> you you got to understand um, where I grew up, um, where I lived. There's not uh, enough cows where an auctioneer can sell cows five days a week, um, so you end up doing a lot of uh, estate sales, house sales, and and the auctioneer does so much more than just show up the day of the auction and talk fast, um, and, and so. I was spending a lot of time in people's basements, in their attics, um, you know, cataloging everything that they've got. And it's also, you know, at the time it was, it was 2014, 2015. And, and so you, uh, you're competing, uh, with an international market called eBay, uh, or Amazon marketplace or any online, um, you know, sales, um, network sales business, um, which kind of changed the game because, uh, at that time, most successful auctioneers, in my opinion, were shifting to we're doing online auctions, and the live sale was not the norm. Um, so, you know, I was taking a lot of pictures <laughs> and writing a lot of descriptions, and I realized, like, I did not go to auctioneering school um, to take pictures. <laughs> and and so that was, that was part of it. The other part of it was um, I, I realized that people do not um, – People do not like it when the auctioneer is asking them personal questions. Um, like, and, and I really struggled with it. You know, um, I was in divorce court every week because I was doing divorce appraisals because the auctioneer, um, you know, goes into court and says, this is what this um, person's property is worth at auction or what it's estimated to be worth. Um, so I was, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old, single, never been married in divorce court every week. Uh, how healthy is that, you know, for my future <laughs> marriage? Um, and, and, you know, you're also sitting there with the struggle of, wait a second, why are you getting a divorce in the first place? Um, and people do not like their auctioneer to, to care. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I said, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should really like consider being a pastor because they expect the pastor to ask like, what's <laughs> going on? This is supposed to be a lifelong commitment. Yeah. Um, and, and the same thing. So, you know, you're doing a lot of divorce stuff. And then the other thing that you're doing is estate sales, you know. So people died. Like, they're already in heaven or hell. There's nothing they can do about it at this point. But yeah. you, as the auctioneer, are going through their stuff. So you're seeing every bit of dirty laundry that they ever forgot they had. And, and so people, take my advice. Before you die, clean out your dirty laundry. Like, your kids or the auctioneer is going to need to see it someday. 
<laughs> take care call. of it. You That's know? a good call. Take care of it. Move on. Live a life worth living. Yeah. Th- those auctions, though, those like farm auctions and estate sales, those can be a lot of fun. They can be a lot of fun. If you've never yeah. been to an auction, you haven't lived. Especially like a farm auction. Yep. That's good yep. stuff. And you can get good deals. Yeah. I got know? all my tools. Like all my all my tools pretty much have come from auctions. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you buy them in lots, throw away what you don't need, and keep moving. Yeah. Or sell it. You know, yeah, make some money true. on it. That's true. If you don't want something in your lot, see if someone else will buy it. Someone else was bidding on it. That's true. So That's true. Yep. Awesome. Okay, last thing I want to talk about before we get into the big questions is you play the concertina. Explain what a concertina is and how does Alex know how to play this? Okay, thing? so uh, a concertina is a fifty-three button uh, button box with uh, with reeds being pushed over uh, with reeds that get air pushed over them uh, with bellows. So it's it's similar to an accordion, but an accordion it, it's it's kind of like saying that a guitar and a violin are similar. You know, they both have wood and strings. Um, You know, a concertina and an accordion both have reeds and bellows. Um, Where a concertina is different is they've got 53 buttons and no keys. Um, It's it's a very polka-y instrument. So if you've ever listened to any polka, you've almost for sure heard both an accordion and a concertina. Um, How did I get started playing one? So I moved to, to New Ulm. And I didn't know many people when I first got there, so I was really involved in the community. So the obvious answer is to pick up a concertina. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, I was at a Pheasants Forever banquet, and I won in the raffle a, um, I won a steel chainsaw and a hour-long concertina lesson with Marv Nissel. <laughs> and... and I like I had been thinking about it because my dad had always said I wanted to learn how to play concertina, um, and I thought, oh, dad would really like that. Well, I got it, and then I was like, oh, I kind of want to use that. <laughs> so I called up the guy, you know, Marv Nissel. Uh, I grew up listening to Marv Nissel because my family is very into polka, so I knew who Marv Nissel was, <laughs> and and so I called him up because now I've got his phone number, <laughs> and and. Uh, and so I called him up and I said, where do I get a concertina? And he's like, well, you come up with $1,000 and, and uh, I'll help you find a concertina. And I was like, I don't want a concertina lesson that bad. Like, <laughs> so I just kind of forgot about it. And, and uh, uh, two years later, my mom got my dad a concertina for his 50th birthday. And, and so dad starts tooling around on this concertina and I happened to see the price tag, which was well under a thousand dollars for the, for the, yeah, but it's not up to Marv's standards. Oh, it very much was. Um, it was just the sort of thing where the, there was a, a concertina builder actually who was local to my parents, um, which like, there's like three of them in the world. (laughs) So that was just rant like what are the chances um and he had several and rural wisconsin they're not as bad as you'd think well, <laughs> rural Minnesota. <laughs> yeah i mean but it's also 2018 there's that's three true. in the world that's true that's you know true. all three of them are in minnesota and wisconsin <laughs> anyways so um yeah it 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 just kind of what happened was my dad got a concertina and learned how to play it and i said if this 50 year old man can do it why can't i um and so I actually like bought my own concertina from the same guy who my dad's was from and, and then went to, to Marv Nissel and got lessons. And I didn't tell my dad that I had a concertina. And then one day I showed up at the house and started just jamming out on his. And he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so we've been playing together ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, do you guys ever play for anything or you just play together for fun? We just play together for fun. That's awesome. It comes out at, you know, Christmas birthday parties stuff like that's that that's awesome yeah cool so uh two big questions question number one if you could go back and talk to your 18 year old self for five minutes what would you tell him oh if i could talk to myself at 18 for five five whole minutes oh five minutes is a long time to talk to my 18 year old self especially Charlie. when you uh, especially when you're an auctioneer you can say a lot in five minutes N- not near enough <laughs> um what would you tell him though I would, in all seriousness, I would tell myself, like, relax. Like, if you could see where you're going to be at 26, um, you wouldn't be freaking out. Like, you're not enjoying the things that that you can be enjoying because you're rushed. Um, And I was very, like, I've always been a planner. Um, 
which is ironic because I'm like the world's messiest person <laughs> and a huge procrastinator. Um, but I've always been like a, a forward thinker. So like, I'm always thinking, how is this going to affect my future? And, and I always like, I, I still struggle with it today, but at 18, I was like making all of these decisions, not based on the moment. Um, but based on how is this going to make my life look five years from now, which is good, you know, to not consider how are, you know, the consequences of my actions going to affect my future would be foolish. Um, however, I was obsessive about it. Um, for example, I wanted to, you know, at 18, I had all these college credits. I wanted to get out of school debt free. Um, like debt was not an option. It w it literally was not an option. It will not happen. I remember like glaring at, um, this guidance counselor and saying, <laughs> that is not an option. He's like, you can't go to college without taking out loans. And I was like, watch me. Um, and I was like, I was very offended that he was telling me you can't do this. And I'm like, you don't know me. Like this is going to happen. And, and truth is it did, you know, and, and, um, and it did. However, uh, when I went to MLC, it couldn't happen, you know, when, right. when you're all of a sudden paying private school tuition and you've only got three months to work, you cannot, uh, you can't do it without either really good financial aid or really good scholarships, uh, which require not being a procrastinator. <laughs> so I probably, that's another thing that I would have told myself was like, get good at scholarships. Um, you know, I, the Minnesota Trappers Association get, gives away like a few thousand dollar scholarships to people who write a letter saying, can I have the scholarship? I never knew that when I was eligible yeah. for them. Um, but there's so many scholarships out there. So I would, I would probably tell myself like, relax, like it's not going to look anything like you want it to want it to look like no matter how bad you want it to look like God's in control and this is not his plan and it doesn't pay to to tell God what to do <laughs> you know uh Deutschlander says that Daniel Deutschlander he says that um uh St. Peter was the the patron saint of all those who'd like to give advice to God <laughs> <laughs> and that's totally me <laughs> I'm very good at giving advice to God and 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 so um that's probably a lot of what I would, a lot of what that conversation would be about would be on like, relax, enjoy what's happening around you. Don't quit living for tomorrow so much as you are living for today because you miss out on a lot. Not that I necessarily missed out on a lot, <laughs> um, but, but you do. And it, there's, it's easy to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I'd also like to encourage myself that the decisions that I was proud of, you know, like proud of like going to church and, and having an active faith life, like these aren't things that are like in the moment at 18, it seemed like, well, I'm really the only one who's doing this. You know, I'm really the only one who's not going out getting wasted every night. I'm really the only one who's not sleeping around like the neighbor dog. And, you know, but those things are worth it. You know, at 26, I can look back and I say, yeah, that was like, those were the right decisions. And I'd probably encourage myself in those decisions and say, like, you made the right call on that. Like, you know, that party wasn't worth it. That girl wasn't worth it. Um, you know, don't worry about it. You're making the right decisions. And quit living for tomorrow. Focus on today. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty decent segue then into the last question. Uh, what is a Christian man or what makes a Christian man? Oh, what is a Christian man or what makes a Christian man? Um, you know, uh, so I'm tempted to answer that with like, well, a Christian man is, is a man of God. But I know you're going to ask me, well, what's a man of God? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, a man of God is is someone who who takes seriously what God has has given and commanded of him. And and lives out his life in a, in a God honoring way. Um, I actually like when I think when when you ask me what is a godly man, I think of a man named Earl. And I, I might have told you Charlie about Earl before, but Earl wrote me a letter when I was confirmed, and my mom had asked him to write me a letter saying like, what kind of advice do you have for a godly like from a godly man to how to be a godly man. And Earl's response to that has like resonated with me ever since I read it because Earl said, um, 
I, I can't give you much advice on being a godly man. I just try to do the right thing and pray that that's all right with God. And this is like a man who I regard as like the godliest man that ever walked the earth, but he's humble enough to, to not say, oh yeah, I'm a godly man. So I think that there also has to be some humility there. Um, humility to, to not consider, you know, a godly man does not consider himself better than any other man. Um, but he walks in the ways of the Lord. And, and you know, what, is, what are the ways of the Lord? And you can look back to Adam at that. You know, God created man and he put him in the garden to work the garden. And that's really what we're here for. We're here for three reasons, right? We're here to work the garden. And that means fulfill your vocation, whatever that is, whether it's whether that's teacher, staff minister, auctioneer, fisherman, um, Christian single man, married man, grandparent, um, student, whatever it is, uh, you got to work your garden that, that God's put in front of you, play the hands you're, the hand that you're dealt. Um, and that is one reason that you're here and you're here to, um, as a man, you're here to honor and provide for your family. Um, whether, you know, like right now I don't have a family other than my dog. So my job is to make sure that my dog is well taken care of and well fed. And someday it'll be, um, to make sure that my family is well taken care of. Um, and so like right now, that means putting myself in a position where I'm able to take care of my family, um, in the future. If God, uh, you know, has that in mind, which like I said, we're not living for tomorrow. We're living for <laughs> today. So, um, if, if God's got that come in, then he's got it come in and I'll be ready for it. Um, and then the third reason is to further the kingdom, right? To add to the elect, right? To, to spread the good news, to evangelize and, and to show uh, other people, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian, why it's so great why you should join the club and, and how it's going to impact you eternally. You know, it's a, uh, it's a lot less warm on this, this side of heaven. <laughs> so awesome. Well said. Hey, appreciate your time. We'll have to have you on again sometime and talk about uh, trapping and, and some of your other pursuits, give it a, get a life update. Um, but I appreciate your time, man. Lots of good things to say. Thanks. Charlie. Very interesting podcast. That was good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> Drive home safe, man. Thanks Stay out of the bunch. ditches. I'll do my best. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.